Bears, birds, and acquisition terms. Microsoft isn't buying platonic games. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm Richard Hogue, the managing member of Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we've got what I hope to be a fairly short discussion, but it relates to my neck of the woods, mergers and acquisitions in the video game industry. And I saw this rumor kind of percolating around my social media, my timeline yesterday. And it, of course, was a rumor, but I want to talk to you a little bit about why it was so self-evidently a rumor from the very start, because one of the things we like to do in virtual legality is talk a little bit about how we can better understand the kind of news items that we see every day, because some of these rumors turn out to be true. Some of these rumors you can dismiss relatively out of hand, and this is pretty close to one of them. I never like to dismiss anything entirely because strange things do happen, but Overall, this was a story that came out yesterday, and you can see it's actually listed here on Reset Era as debunked, but it says Platonic Games, developers of the ukulele series, might be joining Xbox Game Studios and or working on a new Banjo-Kazooie game. And the basic premise of this thread was, and this isn't at all wrong, that Microsoft is buying up a lot of studios. That's absolutely correct. We've now seen a couple of E3s in a row where Microsoft has spent that time announcing big significant acquisitions to kind of aid in their game studio development. Most recently, I think we saw Obsidian, which released Outer Worlds over the past month. It's gotten very, very good reviews, has been a part now of the Xbox Game Studios family. We've seen other companies kind of do that same kind of thing. And so Xbox has been on an acquisition path. We've also seen Sony buy up Insomniac over the past quarter. We've seen Sony come out and say, we're looking to acquire new companies. So we are definitely in a phase in the video game industry where mergers and acquisitions, expansion of first-party support for these major console developers is high on their list of things they want to accomplish. So that's that's the environment that we're looking at right now. And so I think it's worthwhile to kind of run down some of these things and try to anticipate some of these potential acquisitions. And so if you're not familiar with Platonic Games or Ukulele, it's important to know that their kind of pedigree is of people that used to make Banjo-Kazooie, right? They used to work at Rare. They made the Banjo-Kazooie game. Their first Kickstarter, which I was actually a backer of, for full disclosure, was a game called Ukulele that promised to bring back kind of Banjo-Kazooie-style gameplay. Now, they made Banjo-Kazooie for Rare when Rare was licensed to Nintendo. Microsoft ultimately bought Rare. They made the Banjo-Kazooie building cars game, Nuts and Bolts, uh, and they haven't done much with that intellectual property of late. But this past year, we also saw uh, that Smash Brothers Ultimate added Banjo-Kazooie. So there's always these questions about what is your intellectual property doing? Is it dormant? Is it not dormant? And so people are always trying to read these tea leaves. And that's always dangerous, but I think it's fun and I don't think there's any problem with it. But in this particular case, they went too far, right? So we look at this reset era thread and I saw this yesterday. You can see it was uh, from yesterday morning. It says, so I just saw this discussion in the XGS thread and thought it was interesting. That's the Xbox Game Studios thread. Uh, Exhibit A. It was announced yesterday that Ed Bryan, ex-Rare developer who was the character artist for the Banjo-Kazooie games, as well as other Rare games like DK, Donkey Kong 64, and Viva Pinata, has joined Platonic. He left Rare in 2011 and helped Platonic on the designs for the first ukulele game, presumably under contract. But he's now joining full-time because Platonic is expanding or otherwise changing their structure. 
Uh, and they just had what I believe was a fairly successful video game launch this last couple months uh, in uh, another ukulele title called Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, which is kind of a Donkey Kong Country alike. I also have that game. I enjoy that one a lot. But you can see when they have a release and they're changing up what they're going to do next, that you, this is the time when you expand as a company. He then said in a tweet of his own, this Ed Bryan, well, I never really had plans to use this again. And he puts a picture of a tote bag that has a Microsoft logo on it, right? Because as it said, he worked at Rare in 2011 when it was owned by Microsoft. So he has Microsoft branded apparel. As if you are in the corporate world or if you're even in a company that just likes to brand things, you probably have some branded apparel of your own. I'm wearing a Hoaglaw hat right this second. Uh, because we like to brand. Uh, And so if you worked at one of these companies and you had that bag and it's still a good bag, you would, of course, you'd keep it. And so you you send this picture out to say, hey, maybe I wasn't planning to get back into full-time video gaming, but yes, I am. I'm getting the bag ready to go. Of course, it has a Microsoft brand. So you wind up on the front page of Reset Era. Exhibit C is in response to someone asking what's up with the bag. Did something happen to it? It's come out of retirement. Uh, Of course, trying to indicate here, I wasn't planning on doing this anymore. Here's the bag. I'm going back to work. But people read into it and say, hey, maybe this is a hint about Microsoft. We're going to look in just a second about why this is a very poor and unlikely way to hint at a potential transaction. Uh, But that's what we've got so far. Then we've got Exhibit D that a LinkedIn profile for the game director at Platonic now says we're working on games three, four, and five, one, two, which is the one I always thought would be game one. Okay. And that they've registered a new company. Now, I'm a corporate lawyer. I do this kind of thing all the time. I reorganize companies all the time. There really is nothing specifically onerous or telling about launching a new company uh, in the UK or elsewhere, it, de- it generally means that you want to isolate your liabilities. That means that you could want to have a portfolio that you want to spin off in a specific way, which could lead to something like this, these rumors. Or it could mean that you want to have new ownership invested in a joint venture of some kind, or that you just have tax reasons or other logistical reasons why you need to have a second entity or you want to move your assets from your first entity into your second entity. So I look at these things and I say, well, that's a nice little kind of conspiracy theory that's been built up here. I watched this yesterday, but it would surprise me if anything was happening here. And one of the reasons it would surprise me is, and we've talked about this in the past when we were kind of discussing how unlikely it was for Sony to acquire Rockstar, if you remember those rumors from way earlier in this year. And we have a nice video about that called The Anatomy of an Acquisition, if you want to check that out in the channel. But when we were looking at that, we talked about the process for mergers and acquisitions. So what I've pulled up here is a form term sheet from years and years and years ago, just one that I found online. I do mergers and acquisitions in my day job but it often takes a lot of time to kind of redact the personal information from those contracts and put them up here for you to see. And I'm always a little bit reticent to do that in case I miss something. So I just pulled up a form document. It's not a very good form, but it'll help establish what I'm talking about here. This says it's a form M&A term sheet. It's for the acquisition of a company. This is what was being talked about on Reset Era, that Microsoft would come in and it would buy all the stock or buy all the equity or buy all the assets of this company, and it would become an Xbox first-party developer. And you can see here, this is the first step in an acquisition. It's essentially when the buyer puts together all of the major terms, exactly what they're going to pay, what kind of equity you might get in Microsoft or Microsoft's game development studios, other things that relate to what it will look like after the closing. All of these things that make sense from a legal perspective to get out in the open at the front end, 
because while this is a seven page document, if you hire your lawyers to go put together a purchase agreement and or a bill of sale and non-competition agreements and everything else, you're looking at two, three, 400 pages of documentation to get all this done. So it makes sense for us to all agree that we're going to buy you for X amount of dollars, because if we don't agree on that, let's not spend all that money on lawyers getting definitive documents done. We need to agree on the baseline, the economics, the governance of what this thing looks like. And so the first step in a merger or acquisition is to get a term sheet together with all this stuff down and to have everybody sign up to it. And when you sign up to this, you're obligated to sell your company, but always contingent on a number of things. The buyer is going to be looking at your financial statements. It's going to be looking at your organizational structure, your employees, your intellectual property portfolio. We call that process due diligence. And there's a period of time between signing up the term sheet and actually closing the deal. And even then, after you've signed the deal, there can be time after that in which you have to actually do further closing conditions. We see that in large, gigantic acquisitions, right? When you look at the Disney and Fox merger and they announce that they've signed the definitive documents, but that the actual merger, the acquisition is going to happen in uh, 2020 or whenever it is. I think it actually went from 2018 to 2019. That that period of time after they're signed and there's really nothing bad that can happen mostly is related to third parties, right? You have to have the government sign off on really, really big mergers and acquisitions so that there aren't antitrust concerns and things of that nature. So there's all these periods of time. And let's pretend that Platonic had agreed that that Microsoft would buy it and what that would look like. They would enter into a term sheet like this And part and parcel to this term sheet would be these kind of bottom conditions that don't have anything to do with the transaction, but do have to do with how these parties are going to relate to each other. We see here there's confidentiality, which says that the terms and conditions described herein, what this deal is going to look like, shall be confidential information and shall not be made public or otherwise disclosed to any third party except as permitted by the NDA. Now, this contemplates that these parties have a separate non-disclosure agreement, and that non-disclosure agreement would say what you generally expect it to say. It would be a mutual non-disclosure agreement. It would say the parties are entering into discussions about a potential business transaction. We're going to exchange data and information of a confidential or proprietary nature because that's the only way we can decide whether we want to sell, whether you want to buy. And in that NDA, it would say we can't disclose things, usually for certainly the discussion period and for a period of time thereafter. And then this kind of just grabs it and says that includes the term sheet, the term sheet terms and the existence of a potential agreement at all. So in general, when you're talking about a potential acquisition, the reason you see it kind of spring out of nowhere, where you just see Microsoft announce that Obsidian is now a Microsoft company and you didn't really get any hints from anyone, is because this process takes long enough. You sign the term sheet, you potentially get definitive documents in six or eight weeks. Then you might have an additional due diligence period after that, that you're talking about months from when you sign the term sheet, that everybody has to be quiet. And one of the things that goes with being quiet there is that you're trying to avoid anybody else knowing that you're on the auction block, knowing that you are potentially considering selling so that the buyer doesn't suddenly get into a kind of bidding scenario. You see here this last provision that I wanted to highlight, exclusivity, and this is totally normal for these kinds of term sheets, where you say, hey, nobody else can bid on you. You're not going to sell to anybody else. 
And if you get up to the line where you might sell to someone else, because as we've talked about in this series, as a board of directors, as just the fiduciaries of your company, you do have certain obligations to listen to someone that comes out of nowhere and potentially offers you double uh, for what your value of your company might be. That if that happens, we get certain rights, right? A first refusal, other kinds of things. Uh, And that's exclusivity and confidentiality. And nobody really wants to get into that scenario after you've signed the term sheet. So you have to be very quiet about it. Part and parcel to being quiet about it usually is that you don't necessarily make giant employee moves. And this might not be giant in the grand scheme of things, but when we talk about actually announcing to the world on your Twitter page that you've brought back somebody that used to work at Rare and used to work at Microsoft and is now working at Platonic, that would be an unusual step to take if you were under pendency of a term sheet, right? You can imagine this. You've signed a term sheet with Microsoft, then you grab one of their employees, even though you know you're going to go over there, that doesn't seem very likely. So when I look at this from an actual lawyer's perspective, I looked at the sequence of events and said, no, that none of that, none of that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that he has a Microsoft bag is one of those things where Microsoft, if they had entered into a term sheet with Platonic, this is the kind of thing where you get yelled at. And that if this is something that actually does hint at something, it's something that comes down. You kind of see this all around the internet, right? In leak pages or otherwise, where when something is real, it comes down pretty quickly. And when it's not real, the the side that could be hurt by it being real lets it go because noise doesn't really matter so much. You don't see Microsoft kind of debunking these things. And it's interesting what happened this morning because the reason I'm making this video and the reason it's a story at all, and I wanted to just kind of talk to you about the nature of acquisition so that hopefully everybody that kind of does these threads and talks about these things can be better informed and talk about what's likely and what's not, because these things do happen. You can get hints at these acquisitions uh, in uh, the, the past for what is going to be an acquisition announced at E3 that if you have that information, you can kind of avoid getting into the trap here where the obvious kind of incorrect acquisitions are uh, so kind of uh, amusing to you. And so you can actually have those conversations on Reset Era. But ultimately this morning, Platonic released a statement that said about what you would expect. They said, hey, everyone, we wanted to address the speculation currently swarming our mentions. And uh, some of this language is a little bit interesting, but I think it's mostly related to the fact that their main villain in their game right now is bees. Uh, They have a chameleon and a bat. Uh, that are their main characters. So they are being a little bit cute with this statement, which I think is a good thing. It doesn't have that kind of mechanistic, overly PR'd, lawyered statement that is part and parcel to what we've been discussing with Blizzard and Activision. We hate to be the bearers of news that isn't what you want to hear, but we thought it best to come out and say, we aren't working on a new Banjo-Kazooie game and we remain an independent studio. While we would love to work with the Baron Bird again, that ball isn't in our court. With that said, we are keen to continue progressing as a studio, carrying the experience of games we worked on, old and new, to create new characters and adventures for you to, hopefully, love. We're sorry if this isn't what you wanted to hear from us. At first, we found it amusing that Ed Bryan's bag is being used as serious evidence, but we reckon it wouldn't be fair if we didn't set the record straight. Platonic Games. Now, this is one of those things where it's kind of out of nowhere. This statement doesn't actually need to be made. A lot of bigger companies, and Platonic isn't big, it's kickstarted its game only a couple years ago, and it's continuing to grow right now. A lot of the bigger companies, the ones that we talk about most often in virtual legality, probably wouldn't bother to have a statement on this because it doesn't really hurt them to be 
kind of considered as potential acquisition fodder for Microsoft. In fact, you kind of want to be that. You kind of want to have your name out there and potentially be thought of as something that would make a juicy acquisition target because that's how you increase the value of your of your company. But they thought it unfair because this is generally kind of a more transparent type of communication and it's a smaller company that goes out there with things that clearly aren't as vetted as some of the statements that we've looked at. And they said, hey, it's not fair for people to think that Banjo-Kazooie might be coming back, at least under our control. And so we want to get out there and not have people be disappointed uh, on us all the time. So looking at this statement, I think it makes a lot of sense to put out there if you want to kind of have that set of communications with your audience. But it isn't necessary in in the grand scheme of things. And the Reset Era thread leading to this is kind of amusing to me as a corporate lawyer because it doesn't look like something that would ultimately result uh, out of that uh, out of that thread. But what we can safely say with a statement like this is that it is debunked. Uh, and you see a lot of people actually responding to this thread saying, oh, we, wa- we aren't working on a new Banjo-Kazooie game. You must be making a remake. Or how independent are you right now doesn't really impact how independent you are later. All this is true. Uh, But sometimes I worry that uh, discussing corporate messaging a little bit too much leads to all this conspiracy theorizing and reading between the lines when it really isn't there. They could absolutely be purchased by Xbox in the future if Xbox decided that it was a good idea. They could absolutely be licensed to work on a Banjo-Kazooie game for Xbox and for Rare in the future. Uh, But it doesn't appear like there's any truthfulness to that right now. The statement is pretty blanket uh, and isn't really trying to hide the ball like we've seen in other kind of professional statements. So for now, I think if you take anything away from this video, it should be this, that the actual process of acquiring a company is something that takes a long time, is something that is generally held very close to the vest of the participants related to that acquisition. And so if you see leaks, they tend to be controlled leaks. And none of this, none of this Twitter thread of a picture of a bag and someone joining the team, none of that actually had kind of the red flags for being a controlled information leak. So I think you can put those things aside. And for those of you that did that, that saw that thread yesterday or saw it elsewhere on the internet, because obviously the Platonic folks, if you look at their Twitter, we're having a lot of people ask them about this. That's one of the reasons that I think they ultimately decided to respond. That if you are one of the people that sees this, that you can look at it and say, well, I watch virtual legality and Hogue says it's unlikely that this kind of information would leak out in exactly this fashion because if it did, it would have to be done with Microsoft's permission and it wouldn't be the kind of thing that Microsoft would generally allow if they were in the midst of a potential acquisition. So that's been virtual legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, I talk about these kinds of things all the time. You can see in the bottom left corner of the screen, we've had a Blizzard of Backlash series now hit part nine as we discussed Activision Blizzard and their comments and commentary around their ban of Blitzchung and all the dealings that they've had with China, good and bad. And we talk about things like fallout refunds, Australian law, and otherwise in the land of business, law, software, video games, information technology, pop culture, and everything else. So if you like this video, share it around, share it with people you think would be interested in it. Otherwise, if you caught it on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it on its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.